Welcome to True Crime 101 with Murder Friends, the podcast where three friends from three different countries talk about murder. My name's Alana and I'm Canadian. I'm Anna and I'm American. My name's Hannah and I'm British. In addition to our longer episodes, True Crime 101 talks you through key true crime cases and theories. That is always a mouthful and I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's the bit where it says key true crime cases. You gotta That's really think about it. Yeah. You do, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when I was going to do my uh, True Crime 101 research, nothing was really jumping out to me. I don't know, none of them were like felt interesting enough that I wanted to research them. So I think I ended up Googling something like weird true crime stories or weird bizarre crime stories. And the I think it was the first one on this one particular list. It includes an, a family annihilation, a killer child, and a werewolf. And it takes place in Canada. And I was like, the true crime gods have blessed me on this day, so I thought I have to do it. It is technically called the Richards Family Murders. Have you guys heard of it? No. No. And by Richards, no, it's Richardson. I can't read my own writing. Also no. Still no. (laughs) So I got my sources from an article on All That's Interesting and Wikipedia, obviously. If you can donate to Wikipedia please do because I use it every week. So this story is actually fairly recent. We're talking April 2006. So the story goes that this young boy in, um, it's called Medicine Hat. It's like a very small town, I guess you'd call it, in Alberta, Canada. And this young boy runs over to the Richardson's, I don't know why I can't say that, Richardson, Richardson's, Richard, okay, runs over to the family's house and he sort of peeks in the window and he thinks that he sees someone lying on the floor, at which point he's like, hell nah, I'm not doing with this, and runs back home, tells his mom. Mom's like, hell nah, I'm not doing with this, calls the police. The police arrive to the residence. Now, there's sort of like conflicting information, but from the most obvious Uh, stories. It says that the mom and dad, so Mark was 42 and his wife Deborah was 48, they were either found in the basement or like the lower level part of the house. They are both stabbed, they think maybe 20 times a piece, like it's quite a, a violent attack on the mother and father. And then the police go upstairs and they find the body of their son, Tyler, who was only eight years old. He's in his bedroom. He is also deceased. So at this point, the Richardson's, Richard, <laughs> the Richardson family <laughs> was like that perfect nuclear family. You know, you got your two parents, you got a son and a daughter. The daughter is not in the house and she is 12 year old Jasmine. So police quite rightly at the time think holy crap like she's not here we don't know where she is she's 12 like she can't get many places on her own so they they fear that whoever has done this attack has done it to take her almost you know kind of like the jamie claus story Mm -hmm. where the the family is killed just so the the perpetrator can take the daughter with him however after only like the next day uh they find 
Jasmine in Saskatchewan, which is about 130 kilometers away. And she is with her boyfriend. You think, okay. I'm sorry, she's 12? Boyfriend? I don't remember having a boyfriend at 12. I don't know if this is like a new thing in, you know, 2006. So she's found 130 kilometers away with her boyfriend. Yes, that's true. Her boyfriend is 23-year-old Jeremy Stenike. Can't pronounce that. Sorry. Her boyfriend is a pedophile. Yeah. So right away you're thinking, okay, she's 12. He's 23. Her whole family has been murdered. So the... First conclusion that the police get to is that he has done this and he's, like, taken her away and what have you. But at this point, they really aren't sure. It's only been 24 hours. So they, they actually charge both of them with the three murders. And they actually then later charge Jeremy's friend Casey, who is 19. She's charged with being an accessory for driving them away in her truck and helping dispose of some evidence. Now, they're not really sure what the motive is, but, you know, 2006, they go on both Jeremy and Jasmine's computers, and they are starting to find evidence that is not lining up with what they originally thought had happened. So, apparently, um, to no surprise, her parents did not approve of their relationship. Shocker. Who knew? I know. So the parents at at some point had said, like, A, you can't be dating him, and then you can't even see him. So they sort of, like, barred her from even visiting him and stuff. And um, at 12, she was very upset. At 23, he was very upset. And apparently their friends also criticized their relationship, that it was was weird and, like, don't do this. Shortly after her arrest, Jeremy asked Jasmine to marry him, and she agreed because she's 12 and she's an idiot. Now, the story then doesn't stop there because according to friends of Jeremy, he told them he was a 300-year-old werewolf. Seems legit, though. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Right. So he's even older, even more older than her. (laughs) So it just gets worse. What's that rule? Which is, do you know when you you've got a, an older boyfriend and isn't isn't it like half your age plus seven? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it obviously doesn't apply here because she's twelve. But yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I think that's three hundred's a bit much. It's, it's yeah. quite an age gap. A little bit. So he allegedly told his friends that he liked the taste of blood and he wore a small vial of blood around his neck. He was also um, a user, like he had an account on vampirefreaks.com, which 100% was a real website. I'm a little confused because it's where it's, it, he, he says he's a werewolf, but he has an account on Vampire Freaks. So I'm not really sure the correlation between those Can you two cross properties. over? Like, what are the, what are the rules? Like, can you do both? Can enemies. you dabble? Mm-hmm. Are they, yeah. Are they friends? Are they enemies? <laughs> I thought they were enemies. I mean, because I watch movies. Yeah, like, Underworld. What is that about? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. So while searching for evidence and still looking for a concrete motive, the police come across multiple online accounts that um, belong to both Jasmine and Jeremy. Like I said, it was very easy to assume that Jeremy, being the older one in the relationship, was the one who came up with their plan. But there 
online accounts told a different story. Amongst the most telling were two messages. The first message was sent from Jasmine to Jeremy, and she says, I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. Yuck, gross. Girl, you're 12. Go outside and ride your bike. Now, this the second message was posted on Windows Live Spaces. I don't know if you guys remember Windows Live Spaces. Yeah. I think it was trying to be like MySpace, but never really took off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the internet was pretty dark in 2006, Yeah, to be honest with you. You could either go to a Windows Live space or vampirefreaks.com. Those were the only two websites. Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> it. So he had posted on his account publicly, quote, Payment. My lover's rents are totally unfair. They say that they really care. They don't know what is going on they just assume as their greed continues to consume she is slowly going insane she continues to think that i came into her life to help her out and to stop what they keep trying to shout it's all total bullshit their throats i want to slit they will regret the shit they have done especially when i see to it that they are gone they shall pay for their insolence. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. And if you can only imagine the amount of typos in that paragraph, I cannot even begin to tell you. So under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, Jasmine could no longer be named or published in Canada after she became a suspect because as 12, that is the youngest possible age a person can be charged with a crime in Canada. So convicts who were under 14 years at the time they committed the crime cannot be sentenced as adults. So the maximum amount of sentence you can get is a 10-year sentence. So between like 12 and 14 is that sort of like kid range with the 10-year sentence. If you were more than 14, then you can be tried as an adult. So fast forward to the following year, July 2007, Jasmine, who had then turned 13, was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder in the killings of both of her parents and her brother. She is believed to be the youngest person ever convicted of a multiple murder in Canada. So later that year, she was sentenced, like I said, the maximum penalty, which is 10 years. She also got some credit for 18 months already spent in custody to be followed by a fair amount of years in a psychiatric institution and then a couple more years under supervision in the community. Afterwards, Jasmine underwent extensive rehabilitation and treatment after she was sentenced. Psychiatric assessments revealed she was diagnosed with a conduct disorder and oppositional defiant disorder, but she was a kid at sentencing, so she can only get 10 years maximum. In September 2011, Jasmine started attending classes at a local university in Calgary. She was then released from the psychiatric hospital in the fall of 2011. In 2012, it was reported her rehabilitation was going well, and she expressed remorse for her actions that experts considered genuine. Not everybody believes that her remorse was genuine but the actual official reports say that they are they believe that the rehabilitation was quote-unquote working 
In May 2016, at 22 years old, Jasmine's sentence was complete and she was free of any further court order conditions, restrictions, or supervisions after a final sentence review. She currently lives somewhere under a new name. Who knows where? People think it's still in Canada, but nobody is for certain. Is it you? It's not me, I Are promise. You, is this like a big reveal? <laughs> the ages, to be honest, like the ages actually kind of, they almost line up. Not quite though, but it's not me, I promise. I just wanted to check, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Feel safe now. Good to know. <laughs> Jeremy admitted to the murder of Jasmine's parents when he was in conversation with an undercover police officer while in custody because we all know he is not thinking clearly. He was tried in 2008 and he was absolutely found guilty. Now, he was sentenced to three life sentences, one for each first-degree murder count, obviously because he's an adult. He can get tried as an adult. And he will be eligible for parole after serving 25 years, which is, I think, how they always do it in Canada. Like, if you get a life sentence, you always get option for parole after 25 years. And then that Casey girl, she was um, an accessory to murder charge, but she pleaded guilty to a lesser charge. She basically, like, received house arrest, and she basically got on with it. So that is the strange and awful story of the Richardson family murders. And when I was reading it, it made me think a lot of way back when I did that true crime about the Greyhound bus killer Mm -hmm. and how he, like, had a mental break. He killed someone in, like, a really horrific fashion, but he was, quote-unquote, rehabilitated and then released without any, like, check-ins, just like Jasmine has been fully released, new name, new identity, new location. Is Is that okay? Oh, it's really tough. Because, like, when I was reading some of the details, they believe that the boyfriend Jeremy was the one that went in and killed the parents because obviously like I would like to think that a parent could take on a 12 year old daughter and he's quite a bit bigger than her but then there was other reports that it was Jasmine who killed her brother and like to be a 12 year old girl and kill your eight-year-old brother just feels like really really upsetting yeah, somebody you know and lot like your brother for goodness, like you. Yeah, eight. Like when eight. I look at eight year olds, I think, oh my god, you look like a baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty horrific. I mean, how there has to be something. Well, obviously she has some sort of disorders, but it. How do you rehabilitate? I don't know. It's pretty. Uh, well, I guess with the professionals, I guess they know, but it just seems like she gets to just go on now, and she lives under a new name, and you know she doesn't have to tell anyone that was ever her, and she can just go on with the rest of her life. I think like with the the professional thing it's like obviously they've made the they've made the most educated opinion but the thing that about this one and the thing about the greyhound one was the fact that there are no now like no check-ins yeah yeah so it's like yeah your initial assessment could be correct in that they are okay to be sort of integrated back into society because they're not like shunted straight out the door there is support I assume yeah, yeah there would yeah. be years of like first you do this and then you do that. And... But then f- to for there to be no check in whatsoever, I find that very strange. It ju- yeah, it just seems like you're leaving a lot to chance. chance. Or like if mm. like especially the guy the greyhound one, 
I would assume he needs some serious medication, probably for the rest of his life, yeah. you'd think. Like, what if he just stops taking it one day? Like, what if he does that again? Like, I don't know. How do you ever make sure you know someone's not going to stop taking their medication? I know it's probably both of the cases sound like mental illness, which is unfortunate. But how do you – I mean, and is it part of a human right that you don't have to be monitored for the rest of your life? Like, where's the – Yeah, I think that's where it gets into territory of, like, whether it's a human right to live your life or protection of a society. Exactly. And that's a real that's a real debate. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Probably not gonna solve that tonight. <laughs> I reckon we'll give it bash. Yeah. Oh yeah, we can do it. Just give <laughs> us a, Come you know, on. a couple hours. Give me a yeah, chin and I'll, I'll crack on. I think what what shocks me too is obviously she I mean, she's twelve. And I think of like when I was twelve and I was, you know, I don't know, playing my Nintendo 64 and riding my bike and, like, having sleepovers and watching the Spice Girls movie. And, like, it's just, it's hard to imagine getting to that headspace. Because, of course, like, you go through periods of where you hate your parents and, like, oh, my God, they're awful. They won't let me, you know, dye my hair pink and the world sucks and all that stuff. But going from, like, that headspace to, yeah, I think we should, like, just kill my family because they're not letting me do what I want to do. Yeah, I think for when, when you're 12 in the UK, you're in, like, years 7 and 8. And I think it's my year 8, like, school photo. I've got, like, flower hair clips in. Yeah. And, like, like oh. little tiny, like, sunflower hair clips somewhere, <laughs> like, on my two little pigtails. And that's, um, I mean, like, yeah, you go through, like, that preteen kind of angst. But, yeah, you're right. How do you go from that to... I want a 20-something-year-old whatever boyfriend and also I want to stab my parents and my brother to death. Yeah. That's yeah. like, that's a swing, isn't it? There is a big um, section of some of the articles about how they think that they met each other at some sort of rock concert, which, wow, I was not allowed to go to a rock concert at 12, but to each his own. And then they were talking about how Prior to meeting him, she was just like a regular sort of bubbly 12-year-old, like cutesy friendly. And then she turned, quote unquote, goth. How dare you. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, if you can imagine what, we'll post pictures and I'll show you pictures of him. If you can imagine what he looks like, um, you know, early mid 2000s eyeliner he's wearing a vial of blood he thinks he's a werewolf he's dressed in like hot topic and so she then becomes sort of that character because he's that character right she's 12 like she's gonna do like what he does and and they can like fit in better together and stuff but i thought it was so funny that they they really go on the going goth as like the turning point in her personality (laughs) not the 23 year old man that was grooming her (laughs) It was definitely wearing black lipstick. <laughs> we haven't discussed him. We haven't discussed him being a 300-year-old werewolf. No. And while I was reading this, I thought, how do you come to that conclusion? Like, what is your, the evidence when you go, oh, shit, I think I might be a 300-year werewolf? I mean, sometimes yeah. I think that I'm an 84-year-old woman <laughs> because I like drinking tea, sitting down, and knitting. <laughs> but, like, I've never really gone for, you know, over a century no, in no. age. But also, okay, so I have quest- other questions, right? What are these parents doing? I'm not trying to victim blame here at all. But, like, first of all, I was going to say, oh, my God, I'm never going to let my daughter go on the internet ever. Because, like, <laughs> thinking that they met online. And then you're like, well, they met at a rock concert. What is your 12-year-old doing chatting to 23-year-old guys at a rock concert? Like, where were you? 
Or was she supposed to, did she like lie and she was supposed to be somewhere else and went there with her friends? I don't know. You just feel like, what's going on here? Yeah, I wouldn't know how she got there. It says rock concert. That could be fairly broad. It could have been like pink on or what something. the writer thinks is rock. <laughs> Avril Lavigne. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I saw Avril Lavigne when it was the real Avril and she hadn't been replaced by a clone. Were you 12? I saw her in the Hammersmith Apollo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but how old I were you? I was like 13. Yeah. You were age appropriate. When I when I saw Avril Lavigne, I was like eighteen because my one of my friends was like obsessed with her, is still obsessed with her, and I went for like moral support, and it was possibly the worst concert I've ever been to in my entire oh, life. Oh no! No offense. That that would have been the clone though, wouldn't it? Uh, or maybe yeah. not. Yeah, like older. When was two thousand? So that was like two thousand and five, mm. two thousand and four, maybe two thousand and five. I don't know how old I'm. I'm eighty four. <laughs> so, 1932. So, would you consider Avril Lavigne a national treasure, Alana? <sighs> My relationship with Avril Lavigne is very strained. The <laughs> she was my second my second concert. My first concert, I I think I might have been 12 or 13. And my sister took me and a bunch of my girlfriends because we couldn't go by ourselves. My sister, my sister's like eight years older. So she had to take me and my girlfriends. We saw Hillary Duff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hillary I thought Duff you were at, cool. I really I thought you were much cooler than this. <laughs> at her like stadium tour, it would have been like her first album. And we all dressed up like what we thought was really cool. And we had like glow sticks oh and my God. stuff. Yeah, and then next, the following year was Avril Lavigne, and I don't really remember much of that because it was like, oh, everybody here is so much older than me. But that was would have been like 13, 14, and I still couldn't go by myself. My sister had to take me. So you're, you're not really doing anything to you make us not believe that you're actually Jasmine. You were at <laughs> concerts that you turned around that time. <laughs> That's true. That is true. I didn't think this one through. No. <laughs> That was really disturbing slash interesting. Thank you. That was brilliant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, felt, I felt bad because uh, it seems like a lot of the ones I do are quite disturbing and upsetting. But when I saw Werewolf and it was oh, a Canadian story, you had to. I said, I have to. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it just it has to be. So that is the horrible and strange story of the Richardson family murders in Alberta, Canada. That's all we have for today. Please check out our website, murderfriends.com. Um, you can email us at murderfriendspod at gmail.com. Do you have any ideas for a true crime 101? What do you want to know about? You can follow us on Instagram, murderfriendspod, and Twitter, murderfriendspd. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.